Welcome to the Outdoor Country Talk Podcast, hosted by Jacob Poole and Jeremy Shaw, where we bring country living and the great outdoors together. All right, welcome back to another episode of Outdoor Country Talk. Mr. Poole, the itch has been scratched. Duck season is here. Duck season is here. This is our first episode officially, I guess you could say, doing it in duck season but well yeah. mississippi south right 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 yeah southern duck season northern yeah, duck we, season's been open and we've played a little there that's but. right but when it's hometown the uh that itch is a little bit different for me yeah well yeah. It, anytime you can do it within a few hours of the house right. which you know we've talked about on here before we don't have really good duck hunting yeah real close to us that's right I talked to some guys that hunted at Bud Lake this weekend and you know they said the birds clearly weren't down but they had yeah. a they had a good time, good fellowship, good visit. But uh-huh. you know, uh, anytime we can do anything close to home and and get back into what we like doing the best, it was good. It was good. We had a good opener. Went up to Sharbros to the camp, and we uh, the weather didn't didn't treat us all that well. But the uh, the duck hunting was uh, it was good for opener. We well, see. I was in Stuttgart, and the weather was nicer. I think yeah. y'all got way more rain. They we, were saying here locally today between seven and nine inches. It was a lot of rain. Which at the camp, we our hunt on Friday morning, which is opening morning, it got cut short because I wasn't gonna sit in thundering and lightning. I'm, I'm all I'll hang in there with some rain, but when when I'm start seeing lightning bolts and some thunder, so we we rolled out. I don't know. We was back to camp for eight. Did get us a limit of, of wood ducks, so it wasn't it wasn't a complete scratch, but. Uh, we went back Saturday morning, Gary Wayne and I, and we had a we had a great hunt. Him and I killed some mallards, killed some gadwall, and and some wood ducks, and and him and I had a great great shoot. Well, see, ours was the opposite. Friday we drove to Stuttgart, and we were within. If I stood on top of the blind, I could actually see Max. That's what so, you said. So for anybody listening to this, if you've ever wanted to go to Max Prairie Wings, or yeah, which is one of the for anybody that know, Max is one of the largest. Or the largest duck hunting large, yeah. store, outfitter, yeah. however you want to play it. Uh, it's the premier. If you're in Stuttgart, Arkansas, that's one of the stops you're typically going to make. Yeah. I know there's probably one of the largest ducks. I bet so. That statue out front is yeah. probably yeah. one of the largest mallards in the country. <laughs> how many pictures been taken in front of that? I, well, I know of a couple that got taken this weekend. <laughs> I took several of other people, yeah. you know, because there was kind of a little a line of couples trying right. to get their picture. And then Tiffany and I had to get one and Wes Casey had to get one, mm-hmm. so... But we could actually see it from the blind. Yeah. But Saturday, Saturday was a slower day. Weather was really nice. Sun mm-hmm. was out. Wind. Heck, we had a 12, 15 mile an hour wind. Yeah, so there's plenty of motion Saturday. decoys. Just didn't have any ducks to. to I know work on Saturday. At, on Saturday. Okay. We killed a few. I think we ended up four between the four of us. But now we were also trying to land ducks on the water for the wives to, be right. able to shoot. But then Sunday, we didn't fire a shot till nine o'clock. The ladies were starting to get antsy. Wow. But at 9 o'clock, it turned on, turned on, and we wound up with a real good hunt. Yeah, we didn't get to hunt Sunday. Well, I say we didn't get to hunt. I just choose not to because it was going to start at front. It was going The front that we're experiencing right now was starting to push through, and I think it started raining up there at, I don't know, four daylight rain up pretty much all day. So we came home, and, and uh, now in the first split. So Well, about 9 o'clock when it started raining is when the ducks started to hmm. work back around. Yeah. By 10.30, we had two wet ladies. That had seen all the ducks they really wanted to see. <laughs> we were one limit short of a four-man limit, and they said, hey, you know, we got to check out enough. the hotel at 12. <laughs> We'd like a shower before we hit the road. Yeah. Uh, why don't y'all start picking up decoys? Ain't nothing wrong now, with that. my other compadre and I believe we would have stayed and yeah. finished out that limit and think we could have probably, it was ducks still trying to land on us right. when we were picking up decoys. Yeah. So it was like, look, we could have stayed 20 more minutes mm-hmm. and probably been done. Yeah. But you never know. You could have been there another three hours and not been doing. You know, hunting is a little bit different. I hate to get into the to the guest time here, but hunting is a little bit different this year for us in the Mississippi Delta with the changes of the draw hunts and all that, the way that's going. So I say we had to go back a few years of how we were hunting and where we were hunting and all that. And it reminded me, and Shedler had his own opinions of going back in um, – back in time with the way we were hunting with, you know, Hunt Delta National. And I would say in probably about an 80-yard, 80 80-acre 80 block that we were hunting, in that 80 acres, it was probably 10 groups of people. Oh. 
at one point we had pellets land in the decoys. It was it was challenging. <laughs> it was challenging. That was mainly why we only shot wood ducks because it was thousands of wood ducks in there. But first group of big ducks you'd see, you'd think, okay, we may work these. And about five of the groups would go to barreling down some wood ducks, and you're like, no, never mind. Well, they either go to barreling down wood ducks or they go to calling. I didn't hear that many people calling. I didn't. I okay. mean, I could have heard them. I heard them talking, but I didn't hear many people. I mean, that's why I know they were killing wood ducks. They wasn't, you know, working any birds. So, well, to move on, let's go ahead and introduce our guest. This yeah, absolutely. We talked about him a little bit, I guess, from a previous podcast that we did with with you and your Utah trip, and now we're catching back up with the uh, with Mr. Rod Andrew that uh, that you had the pleasure of going hunting with and experiencing his outfit up there, huh? Now. Mr. Rod, you there this evening? Yes, I'm on here. How you doing, Jeremy? Jacob's good to talk to you. Doing well, doing well. Thank you for joining us. We're good, but look, I got a question. Now, I know I've had fun and had a great trip up there with you in Utah, and I've been calling you Captain Rod. Now, <laughs> he has. Does that, does that actually qualify? Has. Now, I'm, I also have that vision in my head of Captain Rodney's, you know, the guy holding up his leg ready to go. Yeah. <laughs> but... Uh, does Captain, I know you, you are my airboat guy, especially yeah, my I love Utah airboat, airboat I think guy. You, you saw a little bit of that while you were here, I think. Yeah, file obsession is an obsession all of its own. That kind of started uh, years ago, uh, probably both before both of you were even born, uh, back in about 1968. Before my time. <laughs> <laughs> my dad got for me at Christmas a BB gun, a Daisy BB gun. And um, we went down the family farm on Christmas Day. And I was standing on the front porch, and they had this orchard, fruit orchard. And uh, there was this poor sparrow sitting out there in the snow. And I leveled down and dropped that uh, sparrow. And I'll tell you what, I think that's where the foul obsession started. From there on out, I just uh, enjoyed being in the outdoors and having guns with me. So kind of carried that for the next 50 years but it's been a great ride how many people can say that that daisy bb gun started for them <laughs> oh i'm gonna say a lot oh i remember carrying my dragging it however i could get it around in the yard i remember that quite well it was well after no. 1968 but still it was it was still there i don't think much changed through the years <laughs> well my children have them now yeah, so yeah yeah there's lots of days with daddy can i go shoot the bb gun sure have at it uh-huh. i don't i don't have to follow y'all around with that one if you got a yeah. you know a real firearm i have to be right. right there with you but yeah bb gun y'all go you know just don't shoot a window don't shoot a truck yeah yeah each other yeah <laughs> they, you know make sure you don't shoot each other and y'all go have fun so there you yep. go. It's, you know, I think that's something I, I wonder a little bit about this upcoming generation because, you know, being raised in the outdoors and having guns is just a way of life. And uh, I, I just can't imagine being stuck in a house behind a TV or a screen. I always wanted to get out and do something. And so I think it's just it's part of that, that outdoor lifestyle that we've come to appreciate and enjoy over the years. And I, guns have always been a part of it for me. Uh, I like the hunting parts and we do a little fishing as well, but uh, no, it's, it turned into obsession is what it really has done. And I, I think that's, I've tried to do the same thing with my children growing up. I, we have three children. I have two boys and a daughter and I'm, I'm pleased that all of them have been, they've all been hunters. Uh, my daughter shot a couple different deer. She shot an antelope. She's hunted ducks with me even after she got married. Same thing with my boys. And in fact, just this last Friday, I took my uh, middle child out, Trevor. He's now, crowd in 30 and went and had a great hunt and so you know you start those uh, traditions with your kids uh, whether they hunt a lot or little um, at least they have respect for what you're doing and uh, certainly have a good story to tell about our lifestyle and what we're trying to accomplish mm-hmm. i think so, that's one of the nice things about you know some of these uh, conservation organizations delta waterfowl and other uh, organizations like that they're doing all they can to keep the tradition alive and you know, I try and each year I try and bring a new hunter into it. And we have a youth hunt in Utah. And every, you know, every year we try and reach out to someone that hasn't been out in a boat and had a good hunt and bring them along. This year we took out a young man, um, first duck hunt, took him out in the airboat out at, we have a place called Farmington uh, Bay Water Man- Waterfowl Management Area in Utah and took him out there. And he got, I think he shot two boxes of shells and got two ducks. 
And he was the happiest guy on the planet. And we took pictures and he had to come home. He's out of shells. <laughs> so it, it's good. It's good to be out there. Well, we've got some friends that we've been hunting with for years that uh, still do that. Yeah, same grown men. Yeah, same same, you know, odds there on number of shells per number of ducks. So that's that's an easy one all day long. It's still fun. Well, and yes, I, it is. I tell people, you know, it's kind of like your golf game. You know, everybody wants to get the least amount of strokes in. Mm-hmm. A lot of people want to get the least amount of shots in. I like to smell like gunpowder. I don't. Oh, you know, yeah. shell's <laughs> the cheapest thing you have on a duck hunt. If you bought decoys, if you bought boats, if you bought licenses, you bought a trip, whatever, the shell's the cheapest thing you're going to do. I mean, you're going, so let them fly. It'll That's be all right. right. And and I like to feel the thump and smell the powder burn. So, you know, when I was raising my kids, I'd tell them, you know what, you throw enough still in the air, something's going to run into it. <laughs> and so that there one, was no there was no conservation on shells. There was, they don't give a price for bringing shells home. Uh, so you take them and you shoot them hmm. and have a good time. All right, I hate to tell you all this, but I'm going to use that one. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. They, they don't give a prize for bringing shells home. I'm going to use that, and there's no conservation on shells. Yeah, that, we'll tell that one, Shepard. We can tell that to a lot of folks. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. But, you know, speaking of Delta Waterfowl, you know, that was kind of how you and I got together. Yeah, yeah, it was. Delta had an online auction, and they offered to hunt. Well, I wound up winning or buying the hunt and had a guy come up with me, and, and we got to – spend time with you and Jeff Adams, the RD there, and it was just a great, great experience. I mean, a beautiful country, part of the country. When we were having dinner that night, you know, sitting there in the booth, and the little waitress was wanting to know why we were up there and what we were doing, and, you know, we got to telling her, you know, this is some of the most beautiful country I've been in. You know, it's it's really, she's like, Utah? (laughs) Remember, we, we started showing her pictures on our phone, and she's like, that's here? Like, yeah. ma'am, you may want to get outside just a little bit. Uh, put your phone down. Uh, yeah. Stay out of the mall. Look around. Wherever it is you're doing, go enjoy some of the natural beauty here. This is an absolutely gorgeous. And she asked, if I don't know if you remember, but she asked us, like, where is that? And it's like 10 miles that way. Yeah, exactly. Right on her doorstep. Doesn't you know what's there. But, you know, isn't that the, the way it is sometimes? You know, you, you just need to get out there. Of course, we're in an area where, Unless you have an airboat, you're not likely you're going to get out there. But that same view could be had, you know, throughout the state as well. So you just got to be out there and enjoy it. Got to be out there amongst it. That second day, well, the first day too, but especially that second day when we were wrapping everything up right after shooting light. And uh, if you remember the sunset setting down with the mountains and everything around, that was, you know, I know Jeff took some pictures with his phone that, those could very easily be framed. I mean, that's I think a, we use one of those pictures on the, on the yeah, podcast. They're, you and they're I absolutely together. gorgeous yeah. photos and whatever camera uh, phone he was using, phone mm-hmm. he was using, I think 11 or either. The, yeah. Yeah, I think it was the 11, but man, it captured all yeah, it, his picture. camera took way better pictures than mine did off his phone. Mm-hmm. So absolutely gorgeous area to be in. And, and you couldn't ask for better duck hunts either. I mean, everything wanted to, Everything wanted to work right and a neat little neat little setup. First day we were all in mallards and then the second day it was more teal and pintails, but and you know they have a limit on pintails just like we do all yeah. over the country. Yeah. We're down to one. One a yeah. day. Yeah, same here. But the amount that we saw that day it should be a little they bit can more. raise the limit <laughs> just a little bit. <laughs> We know Delta Waterfowl's been doing some research on that as well, on uh, pintails. I was talking to Jeff a little bit about that and uh, trying to see what the impact of hunters and uh, on the, the population as well. And there's like, actually, I've seen a podcast uh, on that, or at least a, um, a little bit of something they sent out. And I was a little bit surprised at some of the things they found out with the research about the pintails. So well, the, I think there's more to learn about that than just limiting the number of birds shot. Well, in my lifetime, and as far as I can remember, you know, being around duck hunting and, you know, looking at the, at the bag limits and all that, pintails have really been the one that's fluctuated the most that I can remember from two to one to two to one to two to one. And, you know, it's not many others that in my lifetime that has had that big of a change. 
since they went away from the point system to, uh, you know, the pintail's been fluctuating up and down. They're just a beautiful bird. Oh, they um, are. They really are. And I'm not going to say they're, you know, rare in, in our part of the world. You know, you go a little bit west in the marsh area. I mean, they're they're abundant, but, you know, the kind of the area we hunt in more of a timber type setting, they're just not, you, you know, you just don't get that many of them, you know, in, in our habitat, in the, ha- in the habitat we hunt, I guess you could say. I got a buddy in South Louisiana that says they don't even shoot them anymore. They're tired of oh, seeing yeah. them. And I'm right. like... That's a lie. I know y'all. Y'all shooting at least one. Whatever the limit is, y'all shooting at least yeah. that one. Y'all can tell whatever you want many, to. many, but they're shooting their one. Yeah. Y'all may have to watch way more than you get to shoot at, but I know y'all. If it's flying, it's dying. I know I know how y'all are. Don't tell me y'all don't even shoot at them anymore. Well, Mr. Rod, tell, tell everyone kind of what your role is and what you do. And I know we talked about it a little bit on, on the podcast. Jacob and I did, but, but kind of go into detail kind of how it started and and what what you do up there in Utah? Well, that's a, that's a great question. You know, uh, I talked about 1968, but about 1976, I was in high school, and I really had I just enjoyed being I enjoyed duck hunting. So one of my shop projects is I decided to build a boat and a uh, fiberglass boat for duck hunting, and um, it was only 12 foot long, uh, maybe 36 inches wide. But, you know, as I got into college and all, uh, I kind of had to take a second fiddle, if you will, to uh, my studies and all. And so, mostly I was just going out on uh, opening weekend. And at the time, pheasant hunting was pretty good in Utah. It's really declined over the years. But then we, your family had also hunted deer. So we were more uh, general in nature. We'd hunt ducks. We'd hunt doves. We'd hunt deer and pheasants. And then later in the season, I'd get back into jump shooting ducks. Well, as the kids got older, along about to 2000, um, I really started getting, I bought a, a Springer Spaniel and I really enjoyed, uh, shotguns and got really back, uh, more into, uh, the bird hunting. And so then when the pheasant hunting was kind of slowing down, then I really got back into duck hunting. Uh, the thing I liked about it is in Utah, they have a point system and on, on big game. And so, believe it or not, for 25 years, I've been putting in to hunt elk. Now, I'm putting in for premium areas, and I haven't drawn a tag. So I got 25 points hmm. and still haven't got an elk tag. Uh, deer, uh, we have mule deer here, and uh, I haven't had a deer tag for three years. And so, being I like to hunt, I kind of just gravitated towards, you know, duck hunting because it's something I can do for you know, 107 days in Utah, about three, a little over three months. And so uh, what I did was 2012, I went to uh, Cabela's and uh, bought a low boat, a uh, 16-foot one. And by by trade, I work in the engineering department where I work, and I work for a company. I've been there uh, 30-some-odd years. And so I'm not really content with just <laughs> – I like to improve on things and tweak things. And so I took this low boat and I end up uh, working with a guy here locally. Um, I have, I weld a little bit, but I don't weld aluminum. And so I was having him build a gas tank for it. And I had him build pods on the back. Then I had him um, grab, put some grab handles on this boat. And then I put a mud buddy motor on it. Uh, it was a 35 horsepower surface drive. Mm-hmm. But that didn't have enough power. You know how it goes, right? Yeah. So I went and got a kit and put it uh, nine more horsepower. Essentially made it a, a Black Death 4400. Mm-hmm. And um, then something happened. It's called winter. So long about <laughs> November, it started freezing up. And that uh, put a few little restraints on where I could go with my boat. And at the time, I sold that boat and bought an Excel an F4 boat, and it has a little bit, uh, the hull is a little bit thicker, and I was able to break through the ice and still get out there to the, the big water. I was hunting quite a bit on Utah Lake, which is south, uh, Jacob, where we were hunting at, Freshwater Lake. Okay. And uh hunting out there, but then I told my wife, I said, you know what? And she's a patient woman. 
She has to be. Our first date was a rabbit hunt, so that she knew what she was getting into. But uh, but I said, you know what? This is a constraint. I'm here. It is November, and the hunting season is still in January. So I, I need an airboat. <laughs> maybe there may have been a correction about it. you don't need an airboat. You want an airboat. So um, I uh, started looking around for used ones, and because uh, I thought that'd be the way to go. And the more I looked the more I found that, uh, first of all, they're not cheap. Second of all, I, I have a garage. It's three car bays wide. And on the, the farthest one, it's too deep, so I can get four cars in there. So I wanted to get a, a boat, an airboat, that could get in my garage. And so I ended up uh, deciding just to go ahead and build one that would fit my needs. So I have a local guy that helped me on that. Uh, that low boat uh, makes some modifications. And so it took about nine, 10 months, but we started uh, working away at it. So what I did is I uh, said, well, this is the length of boat I want. I want 18 feet long and it's eight feet wide. Now, with, if you're running ice, you can't have your, well, you can, but it's not desirable to have your boat be a wedge because when you're going through the ice, it'll start caving in the side of your boat. And so if, if you think about a brick, it's essentially eight feet wide from the front all the way to the back with a flat hull. And so that was my first things that I wanted. The next thing is um, my brother uh, had a friend that has a boat uh, made here by a guy in Utah making airboats for quite a few years. But there was, it started to bend and cave in in the front going through the ice. And so... What I did as I got with this guy, I said, all right, well, I can't have that. And so then what we did is we put some diagonal pieces of aluminum on the sides to reinforce the sides so they wouldn't cave in. Then on top of that, I thought, well, um, a lot of guys put polymer. Uh, I got a half-inch polymer mm-hmm. from a place up in Idaho that has, they, I think they use it mainly for dump trucks. But I got this half-inch polymer and put that under the full length of the boat on the bottom, then also on the sides to reinforce it. And then what you do is you take a quarter 20 uh, bolts, and I put about 1,100 screws or bolts on my boat to hold that polymer on. <laughs> so most people don't build a hole, uh, a hole and then drill holes in it. But yeah, well, that's what you, that's what you do. <laughs> and uh, so I got some... Uh, Nephew and some, my, my boys and some friends that came over here, and that was a Saturday project. And then, uh, well, the next thing is, you know, we're all guys, and so horsepower rules. And so, but I wanted to keep that mud boat. I wanted to keep that because it has a blind on it. Well, I got about uh, halfway into this build, and I realized that uh, I bit off more than I could chew. So I ended up selling the mud boat and bought a a Chevy truck engine, a 5.3 liter. Mm-hmm. Now, it only has about 330 horsepower, um, but GM does a pretty good job because it's it was a cast iron block, but they're an LS style mm-hmm. boat, and so our engine. Well, when I got the boat together, I took it out, maiden voyage, and it did okay. The second trip out, I got my wife out there. I'm on Utah Lake, and, you know, Captain Rod, there you go. And, uh, <laughs> you moving along, and all of a sudden, the engine locked up. Hmm. Here I am, middle of the lake, and my engine's locked up. I thought there's a gear reduction on it. As it turned out, uh, two of the rods snapped off. So being a guy, what I did is I started looking around because um, I didn't want that to happen again. You know, we're, at, we're hunting in places that no one else can get to. On the Great Salt Lake, where we're hunting, um, Jake, if you make it out here again for a, an ice hunt, we'll get you out there. But if you're out there, I didn't have cell phone coverage. And so I really got to have some reliability. So I called a, a machine shop up in Michigan. And I said, here's what I want. I want about 600 horsepower, and which is double what my old engine was. and But I want it to be a, a torque engine which means I wanted to come in real strong early on with a lot of torque because that's what's going to turn these props. Mm-hmm. And uh, I have at Sension, it's there out of Florida. They make props for airboats. And so I got with them and 
they call it, I think it's an NGR. Uh, it's about 82 inches blades. Typically, if you're above 600 horsepower, you need four blades on the back. Mine's just shy of that, especially with the elevation. Utah, 4,200 feet. You lose some of that horsepower. And so I went with three blades. And um, what he did, this guy in Michigan, he uh, built it exactly like I wanted. And uh, he put a, came in at, uh, it's got about 565, 70 foot-pounds of torque at about 4,200 RPM. So I got with Sensenich, and I said, all right, what is the RPM I'll be spinning these blades? And they said, well, Optimum's about uh, 2,150. And so you have to do the math, and so that comes out, I need about a a gear reduction of about um, 2.37 to 1. Mm. So I got a rotator gearbox. And so I took the engine, put that on there, and geared it down. So now when I'm hitting about 5,200 RPM, the props are turning about 2,100, which is about maximum. And so it's worked out. The combination's worked out good. Um, You know, that the power-to-weight ratio, you know, as you know, Jacob, that's a big boat. It's not – this isn't like a little, you know – rowboat um oh, it's no. a big shipper taken mm-hmm. out there and i've i've taken out five guys and all of our gear and running in mud and it moves us along pretty good so but um, i put that engine in about uh four years ago it's the fifth season and that thing just ran the only thing it won't pass up is a gas station <laughs> <laughs> it likes that i've been running it oh it, yeah, yeah it's yeah i ought to buy stock and exxon or something the amount of fuel <laughs> i'm putting through it but it uh you know, air is not a great medium um, for transportation. You have to turn a lot of air. Yeah. And, uh, Jacob, you drove the airboat back in. You're typically around, we're cruising at 30-some-odd miles an hour, and we're mm-hmm. turning about 34 to 3,800 RPM. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of like taking your pickup truck and heading up a hill the whole time you're out. You're pulling the load the whole time. You're, yeah. you know, you're under load, and you're you're shifted down, and, you know, the RPMs are going. So it uh, – I guess that's just the cost of doing business. Well, you know, if, if those darks weren't so tasty, you wouldn't do it, right? <laughs> well, talking about me driving it back, I don't know if Jeff was nervous, but Wayne, Wayne, Wayne was would... about, he was like, hold on, hold on you going to let that crazy thing drive? Hold on. <laughs> I, I picked up on that. <laughs> yeah. Well, I haven't, uh, I don't have a whole lot of airboat knowledge at all, but my, uh, my wife's uncle, he does an airboat charter for bow fishing down in the marsh. And, yeah. and I, I don't know a whole lot about the boat or anything. I bet went fishing with him before, you know, talking about horsepower and stuff. He, his wife was, was in the car racing and stuff. And he's got a, a Hendrix Motorsports, uh, motor on his. And I don't know nothing about horsepower and all that, but I know it takes a lot to do what you want to do. He's got to run through the marsh flats and, you know, over oyster shells and all that kind of stuff. So, and he's got, it's probably the same kind of stuff you got on the bottom of your boat, but I know, you know, horsepower wise, it's, it's turning some, you know, I'm, I'm, I know what you mean when you talk about horsepower and motor on that, on those airboats. Well, when we were talking about it, uh, when I drove it in, he was like, man, you did really good. It's like, well, it's not my first time to drive an airboat, oh, really? but it's my first time to ever drive this one. Yeah. So, you know, I have had the opportunity down in Louisiana to play in some of the smaller airboats, mm-hmm. nothing as big as what Mr. Yeah. has, but the difference, a lot lighter you know, quicker little boat. Mm-hmm. But when you crank that thing up that he's got, oh, him 600 horses is oh, purring they, back yeah. there. And yeah, yeah it, it was pushing us through. We're, we're going on through four grown men in there all the gear. And yeah, we went back into a little hole. And when we stepped out, it was like, well, how deep is it? Well, when I stepped out, it wasn't even covering the top of my boot. Uh-huh. Like, okay. And I had sunk down probably an inch or two in the little mud. And it's yeah. like, oh yeah, we're running in, we're running uh-huh. in a, it less than an inch of water. Yeah, and, I and we have we, covered ground back here. I spot the way we were. We went fishing, and um, because we we'd run on on grass, you know, some, and um, and that boat it was it was him plus four shooters and and the gear. You know, you take you know that's a it, it's amazing what moving air would do. I mean, it's just it's crazy. Well, and then you know, go ahead, Mister Wright, finish finish on your boat because you've got a couple extra extra amenities of yours that I had never seen before. And uh, your windshield on the front. Yeah, well, up there you know, that's a story at. in itself because what we have out here, 
there's a Utah Airboat Association that I belong to out here, and it's a select group of individuals that you know are really we'll call it hardcore and into it. Um, but uh, most of them are duck hunters, and most of them are hunting all season long. And the f- first fall I had my boat, I didn't have that windshield on. What I knew I wanted is a lot of airboats usually have a guy sitting up high or maybe two sitting up high. They call that a Florida style. And then there's a, the rest of them are sitting low, about deck height. And I knew what I wanted. Um, I wanted to get three people wide. And you saw that, Jacob. So what I did is I designed it so the seats were sitting a little bit lower. And it was November of 2000, 2016. We were heading out on Farmington. I think that's where you're hunting that layout boat that first day you're here. But yes. I was heading out on the west side towards the Great Salt Lake. And um, I thought I was going to freeze to death. That wind coming over that, and uh, we're down in the 30s, whatever it was, and you move along with that wind. Um, I couldn't get back to home quick enough to get to design a windshield. <laughs> so <laughs> typically what they'll do is they'll look like a sheet of plywood. If you see a lot of uh, boats that go in cold weather, they just have like Lexan or something that's flat. Um, I, I wanted something a little bit different. And so Utah, they also they have two styles of boats. They have a Utah style, which essentially it looks like uh, you sit right down on the, the the bottom of the boat, and it's got a windshield on the front. I want to be able to sit around, see around, so I didn't want to do that. So this one is sitting about you know halfway up. Um, I'm sitting about the same height as the side of the boat. I then designed, I got a piece of paper and I started drawing it out what I wanted to look like. And that design that you've seen there, Jake, is what it turned out like. So I wanted a windshield. I wanted a way to block us in there. But if it's miserable, if it's cold, you know, your hands aren't working very well, your trigger fingers, you're, just, you're not having a good time. And so I want to get there. I want to, you know, be reasonably warm <laughs> given the environment you're in. But that has really been a good windshield. In fact, I thought I'd take it off in summer. I've never taken it off because I really don't need to. We also had the design in such a way as I, um, if you're going along, it doesn't have windshield wipers on it. So if, if there's moisture in here, you may get a little bit of frost on the windshield. So I wanted to keep my eye level about the same where I could look over the windshield or look through the windshield. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. You probably you probably saw that when you're when you're operating it. If you look sit level, you're almost looking right into the top of the windshield, and so. But that's by design, and so it's just to make it more comfortable for uh, you know a person operating it. And so, I it's really been good from that standpoint. Um, it's unique. I'm not of any others. I'm not aware of any others in the state that are of that design. So you it's kind actually, of a combination of both of those. You actually added the windshield and the frame there after you had already built the boat. Yes, yes, okay. I did. I, I thought it was all you had pieced it all together all at one time, but you actually added that later. I did. It was in the same first season, um, but I thought, well, I got so much money in this boat, I'll just kind of take it this way this year, and that didn't last that about a month. <laughs> no, I mean, <laughs> or I wanted you know, that the, windshield. The, the and uh, you know, it's it's been a, uh, it's really been. A, I guess I'll just say it. Other than it's been a lifesaver as far as keeping warm. It, it's amazing how much difference it makes just to get that wind out of your face, let it go past you instead of right into your face. So I wouldn't do it any other way now. It's it's part of how I, I, I fly, so to speak. Well, I know the evenings when we were coming back, it wasn't so cool going out because we were going out, you know, early afternoon. But in the evenings yeah. coming back in when temperature was starting to fall and wind was picking up, yeah, that was really, really nice to have that extra. And you probably, if you wanted to, you could probably put a little heater underneath there yep. and, and have, you know, a little extra if you wanted to. But, yeah, all the other ones I've ever been on, like you say, you know, you're you're kind of high up and all wide open in the front. And down here, that's not a big deal. But if you're up there running on ice, a little bit different. Yeah, you're you're in the teens or <laughs> somewhere close to the teens. Yeah, you you want as much coverage as you can possibly. Yeah, I'd hate to know how bad I'd have to bundle up. Mm. I don't own yeah, enough it, clothes. It cuts right through it for sure. Because cold is one thing. You can have a cold, sunny day or cold, cloudy day mm-hmm. and be okay in a lot less. But you, you put 30 a 15, 30-mile-an-hour wind on, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it'll make you dance quick. 
you know, one of the other things that kind of hits us up in the winter here is because if you think about it, if you make it back out here again, you can't unload into the water. The uh, Airboat Association has a, a dock where we unload in December and January. The ice, the water's frozen. So what we do is we put a pole in the ground and it's cemented in. We take, uh, you know, it's like straps, hook that at the back of the boat and drag it off the trailer until it sits on the snow and ice. Oh, and that, I, you know, and I that's how we take that. off. Um, we just take off leaving on the ice because the water's all frozen. Yeah, you ain't holding just back the trailer. <laughs> no, no. And then when you when you load it, it's just the opposite. You pull up and you just load on the trailer sitting in the snow. And uh, huh. it takes a little bit of horsepower to do that. But it's, I would guess that's just that's the lay of the land. That's you know if you want to yeah. be out there, that's what you got to do. And so you got to keep all those things in mind when you're you know building something because. Reality, that's your lifeline. When you're out there, I think if I looked at my uh, GPS, right, I think we were six miles, six or seven miles straight out in water that when we got out there is, you know, deepest part, like you're saying, is less than a foot. Mm. You just, you can't walk there. And uh, I guess you could. It'd be a long journey. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so you've really got a plan for what's the worst thing that could happen. So I, you know, I bring, I have a handyman jack in my boat. I have straps. I have, you know, everything you think of. And um, to, just in case, just in case, you got to be careful what you're doing, but uh, plan for the worst as well. Now, during That's the, the wintertime. lifestyle of an airboater. Now, during the wintertime, do y'all normally run two boats together? Do y'all try to communicate or, or do you just head out if you've got a well, chance to go, go? That's a that's a great question. Um, typically, uh, we're just running one boat at a time, but there's other people out there. You know, there's, you know, in any sport, when you get in, there's the hardcore people. <laughs> you know who they are, right? I know what guys I'm likely to see out there in their airboats, and they know me. Uh, a couple of years ago, we were set up and hunting out there, and it was raining a little bit. And um, another guy I know, he was down a little further south of me. He was having some problems with his boat. I think his uh, air cleaner was getting wet. Um, so, you know, you keep track of each other. And I think there's an unwritten rule among true sportsmen, you know, you, you help each other out. You know, there's some people, if they call them, where the duck's at, Rod, you tell them. There's other people that call them, where the duck's at, and they say, oh, they're all over. Just have to get them and find them. <laughs> there's there's a few guys with the Airboat Association that, you know, you just tell them everything. You, you, they got your back, you got theirs, and you work together. So what the Airboat Association does, if for some reason I get stranded, there's actually a, a phone number we call, and they send out a emergency text to all the airboaters, and anybody in the area then goes to help them and help them get out. I remember one time there was a, a boat, we were out there, it's called Fremont Island, out in the Great Salt Lake. On the south end, there's some um, reef or, you know, rock, if you will, um, that a boat got stuck on. And um, I was hunting there, and all of a sudden, I walked, I didn't have my phone on. I saw four or five boats pick up and all head that way. And so when this one guy is stuck, they quit hunting and everything to go help this guy get back out. We got back into the dock. There was, he said, 17 guys trying to get his boat out. And that was in a matter of just 30 minutes. So, you know, when you have a network of people like that, they're willing to, because they, they all know that someday it may be them. And yeah. so, you know, you, you got to have something like that when we're, when you're hunting the environment that we are. Well, I've noticed several times in this recording that you keep saying, if I get back out, you can go ahead and kick that if out the door. And just tell me when I need to come up. All we need to do is get this scheduled, and we can get that if out the door. I, the attraction I had to that area, and the intrigue that you have thrown on me with, you know, getting onto the ice and running the boat on ice and getting out and, and hunting the divers out in the salt water. Yes, sir. You you can you can kick the if right on out the door. I'm I'm coming. You just got to say when. Well, we'll get that planned this year. <laughs> Well, and like we, were talking about, like we were talking about before the show, you know, 
you've got several species that we have down here that you'd like to get down and get a chance at. So, you know, we, we're going to have to make a swap here somewhere. We can trade something out. <laughs> I, hey, we're on. <laughs> I got to get those blue wing teal. I got to get those. I have a cinnamon tiller around here a little bit. Um, they leave pretty early in the season as well. A few years ago, I shot a banded cinnamon till hen. Now, I normally don't put my hens on the wall, but a banded <laughs> cinnamon hen, it's, that I'm staring at her right now. She's flying right in the room here. She, she, um, she had to go on the wall. She did, yeah. And I, with her leg hanging down with that band on it. I'm just looking at her now. You know, but I, uh, we do have a few wood ducks around here, um, but I, not many. I've uh, I've been on one hunt when we shot a hen wood duck. And frankly, I we didn't know what it was when it came in the decoys. It's actually passing by. And when I went and picked it up, I could tell then what it was. You know, that's the nice thing about community of duck hunters. Um, last couple of years, I took some other friends, we'll call them now, from uh, North Carolina out. Um, last year, we took some guys out from Delta Waterfowl. Um, they had their winter uh I guess they call it a convention or something, they Jacob. The, I'm not really sure what they, they call had the that. RD meeting there, didn't it? The district yeah. or the. I, I think it's just considered the RD meeting, is what they they all get together and do a hunt a year. You know, we did that, and then they came out here, and uh, we took them out a couple days. And had, I was heading back in that first day from taking the first group of guys out. Got a call from uh, Jeff Adams, said, well, He's asked how it went, and so we had a good time. He says, well, uh, got some news for you. I said, what's that? He said, well, tomorrow they're having TVs coming out with you. There's an outdoor show, and they're coming out to film your hunt. <laughs> so uh, we took them out and uh, that second day, and it's uh, if you want to see what duck hunting looks like on the Great Salt Lake, go to YouTube and pull up, I think it says Delta Waterfowl. And that's a, that's that show, and it'll kind of give you a, a hint at what it's like. Um, we'll hunt with probably, I'm guessing, 300 decoys. Uh, what we do is I take, um, I've made all the decoys that we these uh, silhouette decoys. You take coroplast, which is, looks like uh, cardboard except it's plastic. Mm-hmm. And I, I got a decoy, I had a mallard decoy, and I just kind of outlined what that decoy looks like and put that down in that coroplast. And then I put about four uh, sheets together, and I started cutting them out with my jigsaw. And uh, so that's where I got those. It's close to 400 decoys. And uh, then I just got some steel rod and uh, put up to that corrugation and made a couple little boxes. And... Really, on the Great Salt Lake, you have such large flocks of ducks, they kind of look black. And then the two typical ducks that we generally see are green wing tail and also northern uh, shovelers, spoonies. Well, and they, you'll get some occasional <laughs> golden eyes come through, but shovelers you won't around, find many mallards out there. <laughs> what about your redheads and camas backs? Do they hang out out there? Boy, not not that time of year. They, we, I've shot a few of those, uh, generally in the fresh water. But uh, this hunting that I'm doing in December and January is mostly on the salt water. So that's really the two species or three species you get. You get the golden eye, the shovelers, and the green wing teal. Hmm. And if it gets really cold, it seems like the green wing teal will leave, and the shovelers maybe the last, the last ones left. And anyway, it, I don't know what it is with those species, but where the fresh waters flow, come in the Great Salt Lake, they'll come off about midday, come off the salt water, and then they'll come into that fresh water. And um, that's usually where we're setting up. We've had some days when we're limiting out, you know, four guys in 20 minutes, and it's just yeah. as fast as you can shoot, you're picking them up. And We try and get in and out because we don't want these birds to get smart, so <laughs> if we're having a good hunt, we get in and we get out. Well, it's, it's like else. that down here with those two species. I say green wings and shovelers. Usually if you see one or abundant amount of one, you're going to have the other, you know, typically. It, um, it's weird that, you know, those, those two species are abundant here and, you know, in Utah. Look, yeah. Shooting Hollywood's on ice. I don't know if it gets any better. Than that. <laughs> that's a, that, that could, 
that could be a yeah know, a, a billboard right uh-huh. there for for Hollywood's duck on ice. Hollywood's on ice, baby. Yeah. Come come <laughs> come see the show. Still doesn't you know, make it any prettier. There's a company <laughs> that makes uh, spinning wing decoys, and they they had one that came out a couple of years ago. It was a Shelburne's great big toothy grin. Yeah, I went and bought one of those just to throw out my spoon spoonzilla. <laughs> Jeremy's got decoys. one. No, I don't have one. Scotty's oh, I thought you one. had one. No, uh-uh. we, you- we made a joke out of that. Scotty, uh, one of our buddies that we hunt with, we've been hunting with for years, he uh, he actually went to a Delta waterfowl banquet up, I think it was up around Memphis, uh, Oxford area, somewhere like that, northern Mississippi or, or right inside of, uh, of Tennessee. And um, and they had one there. I think it was either a silent auction or on the raffle or something like that. It was nothing for him to do but buy that spinning wing decoy, just the way it looks, you know. And he actually, I think it was the very first hunt two years ago. I think it was, we had a, we had a draw hunt that we went on and he pulls that thing out of the bag and you thought he had a brand new shotgun with him when he pulled that thing out of the decoy (laughs) bag and we set it up and, and we actually shot a, shot a four man limit over, uh, over Spoonzilla and, uh, and we had to make a, make a, make a nice video of him, of of his smiling, smile and everything. It was, it was pretty cool. Did y'all color a tooth in? I don't think we color I've a tooth seen in, some that yeah. have a gold tooth or a black tooth on him. Yeah. Uh, you yeah. know, try to help him. Yeah. No, give we, him a little we, bit. We of... left him all original, but he, uh, <laughs> we, we've, we've hunted over Spoonzilla a few times. Yeah. It's kind of as of the fun, doesn't it? Oh, yeah. Well, Mr. Wright, I know before, you know, we're getting kind of towards the end here, but I know before we get off, you've got some good hunting stories. Have you got a good one or two you can lay on us before we get off here? <laughs> well, you know what? That's a good one. You know, um, what happened, uh, back in my day, <laughs> you really couldn't start hunting in Utah until you were 12 years old. And, uh, my dad was a bird hunter and a big game hunter. And so my first duck, there you go, that's a good story, right? My first duck was in Perry, Utah, which is just about the same area we were hunting that day. But back then we were foot soldiers. So we parked the truck up in the, um, in the corral, if you will, on the farm. And we walked out there. And uh, what we do is we just sit on top of muskrat mounds, and uh, we just we took out a few mallard, you know, decoys. These are back in the day. Do you remember those decoys? I can't remember who made them, but you'd blow them up, and a little thing at the back you'd blow up. And so we just took five gallon buckets out there, and I'd put a half dozen decoys in mine. He'd take another bucket and put a half dozen in his, and we'd go out there and set up. And we didn't have camo, you know. Well, we had just that canvas-looking, you know, hunting coats. What we do is we just sit on top of muskrat mounds and kind of lay down, and then mallards are coming into that shallow water like like you've seen out here. And the first flock that came in, uh, well, might have been the first flock. It was one of the flocks that came in. I had a Springfield Savage my uh, father bought for me, 20 gauge, and that was my first gun. First season out, I had this flock come over the top of me, and I looked up there, and, and I let loose on it on the first one, and the third one back fell. <laughs> that turned. <laughs> I learned two things that day. First of all, you got to lead them, <laughs> and that first duck was a hen mallard. And there's just something about, you know, a 12 year old boy, and it just gets in your blood. You know, you think you've accomplished something, and then you go home and you. You skin that, you have it for dinner, and, uh, you know, it, it just it just started the ball rolling. And that was a fun one for me. A few years later, um, uh, what would happen is my uh, great uncles, my grandmother's brothers, were all raised in that same area, but they moved to Michigan, different places, and they'd come back every year for the duck hunt. And um, when I was about 14, they'd come back, and they asked me to take them out on ducks, and and had a cousin, a second cousin that was from the Cheyenne, Wyoming area. And it, they said, hey, Rod, you've shot a lot of ducks. Why don't you just sit back here and we'll take him out the blind. Well, that day I was kind of sitting a second fiddle. And uh, that, that cousin of mine, he got one duck. And, and I shot four ducks that day. And I, I would tell you, I was a proud little guy that year taking these guys out at 14 years of age showing them where the ducks are at and then being put off where the ducks weren't and still be able to get four so that's another one of those times that that make a memory um 
but you know, spring forward a lot of years um, in the mud boat areas, um, what we would do is it became a family union, and so uh, we would go to my brother's house and we stay overnight. There's a place out you were hunting out there by public shooting grounds. There's a place out there called Salt Creek. And what we do is we go out there in our mud boats, and uh, I've slept overnight out there in the mud boat waiting for the opener. You know, it's a little bit obsessive as well, but uh, we get out there. We had our spot. This is a public shooting grounds, you know, and we don't have to take uh, um, any kind of a ticket or anything to get out there. It's open to anywhere you want to go, but we had to mark our territory, so we go out and stay overnight. We had one year uh, there was we went out there, and it was a heyday. We just had ducks galore and took a picture of that, and um, I still have that. I'm like, I took a picture of my phone, but I think we had, uh, I don't know, was, I want to say a seven-man limit opening day. And, you know, those kind of things stick with you. And um, this year, um, I have a, a journal I keep track of my duck hunting, and this is, for me, this is the best duck season on record for me. Really? I typically hunt 20 some odd days a season. I've already shot more ducks through half the season than I shot all last year. Wow. So I don't know what it is about this year, but it's, it's been remarkable. So the good old days are still here. Hope so. Hope so. Yeah. Well, we're about to see. Uh, now, what is, and we haven't talked about the weather today. That's that's rare for us. It's cold. We, I know. We've got a cold. front down here. What is y'all's weather up there like right now? Well, you know, it's been unseasonally dry. Um, if I think back uh, about until June, I think there's only been a couple storms come through. So I tracked the Great Salt Lake, depths of the Great Salt Lake. And um, so we're actually down. We actually have a report, the snowpack report for the state. And I look at that and. Uh, last I checked, I think it was last Friday or something, we're only about 80%. So temperature-wise, it's freezing up. You know, we're down, we've had some days in the teens. Uh, last Friday when I out, went out, uh, we were breaking ice all the way out at, you know, 5.36 o'clock in the morning in the airboat. And then we're getting to a fresh water flow that we're hunting in. Uh, so the water's freezing up now, and that really is starting to concentrate the ducks to the areas they can get into. And so... yeah. We're, we're heading back. We're going the first time this year out onto the Great Salt Lake, um, the salt water. We're heading out Friday. Uh, son-in-law and a friend are going to go out there and see what we can do. So, Jacob, we'll see if we can find the area for you and get you out here this year. Yeah. Sounds like we need to get – I need to get an airplane ticket quick. <laughs> we're about to have our <laughs> first uh, below 30-degree morning. 29 in the, in the morning, yeah, 28, I think. 29 degrees later. in the morning, so – we uh, we're feeling a little bit of that, that Arctic chill that y'all get to experience much of. Yep. yep. Well, Mister Rod, we enjoyed it, man. We are uh, we're about out of time for the show. We appreciate you getting on with us and and enjoy talking with you. Well, it's always good talking to you, Jacob, as well as you, Jeremy. Appreciate the time. It's good to talk about something we all have in common. So that's it. Well, it's something that we have a love of, a passion for. Not everybody gets it. You know, everybody has something that they, you know, hopefully everybody has something that just helps them get up in the morning. And I know, you know, I saw a little thing today where a guy said, you know, having to get up at four o'clock to go to work, I hate it. And having to get up at four o'clock to go hunting, you know, love it. it. Yeah, <laughs> love it. So, yeah, you know, I'm with him. We, yeah. we understand, you know, yeah. we, we've done the overnight sleep ins. We've been up at two and three o'clock oh, in the yeah. morning wading in. No doubt. You know, almost chest deep to get getting a hold to beat everybody else and flashing a flashlight to keep them out of you, you know, getting too close to you. So oh, yeah. We, we understand. We promise. So. All right, Mr. Rod, we're out of time. Everybody, we hope you enjoyed this episode of Outdoor Country Talk. God bless. God bless. Well, ain't nothing like a southern air. Ain't nothing like a southern air. I got the music crazy.